This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Roman Ray Romano and Roman Reigns eating romaine lettuce. I try to magnify them to being better. That's a good director. A good director is the guy that inspires everybody around him to do their best work. That's good directing. Not, I did it all. You blew, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Roll the Credits, the podcast, the only podcast that you knows the difference <laughs> between a filmmaker and a director. I am Zach. Oh, I'm Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and we are here today to do Director's Cut, take two. Take two. And we are talking about our number two spots for directors now. We're mm-hmm. getting the nitty gritty of shit. So don't fuck with me, Frank, All right, I while won't. I talk about my director first. All right. That's fine. Unless you want to go first. No, no, no. This is all you. Go okay, ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, so my number two is, is Guillermo del Toro. Oh, God. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. You had to have known deep in your heart that it was here. Oh, I am not happy. <laughs> Why? You like, like some of I like one of his films. You like some of his films. Talk about okay, him, man. Go so crazy. fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so Guillermo del Toro, I really enjoy his work mainly due to like he has almost like a fairy tale aspect to like everything that he writes about uh-huh. and everything he does. So just to name like a few things. So his first film was Kronos, uh, done in 1993. I don't know exactly what that film it's about was a big about. bug. Is that? Mm-hmm. Did he? He did Phantoms. Mm-hmm. No. I don't know what Kronos is about. I'm lying. He did. He did. Something. I just remember. Uh, I just remember a story of Guillermo where he was like, I think it was his first debut feature, mm-hmm. and then it's about like a giant bug like taking over a city, and then yes. the guy, the guy is like, uh, the creature looks like a really big bug, and Guillermo's <laughs> like, it's because it is a really big bug. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that. He had to do that movie to get funding for Devil's Backbone, Mm. which was a really interesting, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it was a Spanish film where it was a bunch of orphans during, like... Oh, you told me about this. Yeah, I think, like, World War I, but, like, there's this whole, like, ghost aspect. It's always... There's always a war going on in all of his films. Because he always likes to add, like, war and fairy tales together. I don't know why. I like it. I don't. I, I think it's a it's an interesting way to to do things. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth is again probably my favorite of mm-hmm. his films, but again I don't I don't love the movie. I know I you it's don't. Good, but he we have to admit he is great at his core with practical effects. Mm-hmm. I think the creatures in Pan's Labyrinth, like uh, specifically the the goat. Yeah, the fucking the, 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 eyeball, the guy. eyeball guy that's all gooey. Yeah. He was cool. Uh you It's just have- disappointing that like for me, again, I'm not, I'm sorry, but like it always just kind of disappoints me that like I want more of the creatures. Like in Pan yeah. specifically in Pan's Labyrinth, there's only like 3. Yeah. And like the like the, the guy with the eyeballs is really really cool, but he's mm-hmm. only in the movie for like 3 minutes. I'm like, yeah. oh man, I really want more of him. Yeah, and then he bites off like the fairy's head. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then and then the fairy's like talking shit. You remember that? You <laughs> yeah. remember how the fairy goes to like the um the goat or whatever he is? Mm-hmm. What is he? Is, is he a goat guy? Uh, uh, He's a ram? Fuck. No, like there's an actual name for it and I can't remember what it's called. It's basically like a, a, a centaur, but... It's a goat person. But it's a goat person. 
And as soon as, uh, because, you know, he's like, don't eat anything at the table. Mm. And then she's a like. Fawn. A fawn. Fawn. And he's, she's, she's like, I'm going to eat the grapes. And then the thing comes alive and he, and he fucking eats the, uh, <laughs> he eats <laughs> the uh, fairies the, the head. And then immediately the other fairy runs to the fawn and, and, and you just see him like whispering in his ear and she's like pointing at the girl. Yeah, like, get the fuck out of there, man. What are you doing? Uh, uh, it was funny. But he also did Shape of Water. I did not like that movie. Fuck you. It won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, he did Hellboy 1 and 2. Hellboy's good. I personally liked Hellboy a lot better. I think, again, the the creatures in Hellboy, practical effects-wise. Is Hellboy a graphic novel? It, like, was it originally? Yeah. Okay. It, it's, a, it's a comic made by Dark Horse, which is, I would say, probably like third tier if you like if you're going like marvel dc oh like dark dark horse is the company that i would put like third really yeah they do make a lot of really cool stuff but like their their most well-known stuff is of course uh hellboy do they do spawn as well no that was image Spawn's cool i love spawn image that's all they got is Spawn. <laughs> that's all they got that's going That's literally on. all they got going for them. What, do you want to read about Super Dragon? It's just this green dude with this fin on his head who's strong, wears like a white tank top and jeans and goes beats people up. I don't want to read 30 issues of that. That's too much, yeah. But I want to read Spawn. Anyway, uh, back to Guillermo. Yes. <laughs> Crimson Peak. I hate it. I like Crimson Peak. Again, gothic romance. Not a horror film. Very mismarketed, though, trailer-wise. We talked about that. Uh, Pacific Rim. We've also done Pacific Rim. Don't love I it. like Pacific <laughs> Rim for giant monsters beating okay. up giant robots. He was involved with uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, he which is involved. his most recent thing. Again, I, I don't know if you ended up seeing that or I didn't. not. I didn't get the chance to see it either, but again, like the practical effects really show in that movie from like the trailers that I've seen. Mm-hmm. And he really took, like, the source material yeah. to adapt them. Uh, Blade 2. He did I, Blade 2? Yeah, man. I, I like Blade 2. I don't remember. Uh, I, don't, that, I need to rewatch the Blade movies. I don't remember those at all. Blade 1 and Blade 2 were good. Blade 2 was the one where he fought Dracula. That's Wesley Snipes, right? Yeah. And then Blade 3 was not I remember there's good. one with Ryan Reynolds. That's Blade Three. And that was bad. that one. Also has Triple H in it. That was re- <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> he has like a shit. little Pomeranian <laughs> yeah. who's a who's a vampire. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, that one was bad. Uh, and then he was directing Mountain of Madness, and I'm sad to say that that is no more at this point. Why? I looked it up. I forget like whether it was like a scheduling issue or it was a budget issue. But it just wasn't going to be enough. Like, they weren't going to fund him enough to do what he really wanted to do and stay truthful to the adaptation by Lovecraft. So he dropped Man, it. Lovecraft just gets... You you love Lovecraft so much. I love Lovecraftian ev- horror. And everything like that ever... It seems like all the Lovecraftian things that come out just either don't get happen or they're not, not done very well. Like that video game that you did, you were like, it's okay. Yeah, the Sinking City it was all right. It was all right. It had really cool aspects. Yeah, to and, it. and then you thought you thought the lighthouse was going to be a little bit more Lovecrafty, and it mm-hmm. just wasn't at all. No, uh, what? Eh, no, no, no it was really. more mythological. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, now the Mountain of Madness got canceled. Mountain of Madness got canceled. I will still hold that, like you know, the thing and Annihilation are really good cosmic horror films. Yeah. So that's. 
doing it justice, but <sighs> fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually have like a, a little snippets of like facts about him. I'm not just like phoning it in this episode. Oh, have you been? Have you just been phoning it in, in the past? Well, time? I haven't been as prepared as you have apparently. <laughs> so a couple of like little facts about him, like he has a photographic memory. Guillermo del Toro has a photographic memory. Yep. Uh, there was a really cute like thing when cute. filming like uh, Pan's Labyrinth, where the little girl uh, that was the main character was a little like shy on camera. And she... So he stabbed her. Yeah. <laughs> so so he threw her out the window. <laughs> now, um, when they were filming, uh, she loved the movie My Neighbor Totoro by Studio Ghibli. Oh, that's an anime. Yes. I know Studio um, Ghibli. Ghibli. So... Ghibli. Yeah. <laughs> so... Ghibli! She, Ghibli! <laughs> My <Studio> man! Studio Ghibli! <laughs> Uh, iCarly, man, that was, that was that was that was let's watch iCarly after this. <laughs> <laughs> so, what happened was the girl was like a huge fan of my neighbor Totoro, and like looked at Guillermo del Toro and was like, he kind of looks like him. And looks when like Totoro, yeah, and went up to is Totoro is fat Spanish guy, fat big old bear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess like somebody like told Guillermo del Toro about it and he went up to her and was like, "You can call me Guillermo del Totoro-san if you want." Ah. Yeah. <laughs> ah. So, that was a little thing. Um he has like a great love for like universal movie monsters. Right. Which, obviously. Yeah, is kind of shown a lot like within his films with practical effects. So like his biggest like the biggest things that he really likes is Frankenstein and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. I personally put Creature from the Black Lagoon top three of Universal Monster movies. Mm -hmm. And you kind of get like that feel of it too, especially with the shape of water, like how he designed the creature for the film. Yeah. And even so, like I said, like Hellboy with the the weird like creatures that are like dogs that like just don't die. Yeah, yeah. Or they just fucking come back as soon as you kill them. And then he also has like this unique thing where it's like before casting someone, he looks at their eyes. So like a big thing of like whether or not he's going to cast you is how you interpret like with your eyes while reading the lines. Because he has, like, this whole idea that, like, you know, eyes will tell a bigger story than words can at some points. Mm -hmm. And there is, like, an interesting little thing that I have, too, where it's, like, uh, specifically Devil's Backbone, The Shape of Water, and Pan's Labyrinth. He has this way of having the villains be very human-like. And by that, I mean, like very very normal for the most part and then like as the story builds they become like a little bit more unhinged and they end up getting like some kind of like distinct feature that almost shows like their true side so like in pan's labyrinth the the general who is the villain uh at one point in the film like gets the side of his mouth cut and like he has like that uh chelsea's grin Mm -hmm. type thing yeah. to his his one side of his mouth yeah. so it kind of shows like he's got like a twisted side to him and it's badass yeah he, he then he drinks uh he drinks like liquor oh with yeah the yeah. open wound yeah, i'm like god damn <laughs> that's that can't feel good yeah no that's got to be horrible 
horrible. Uh, and Devil's Backbone, the main villain, is like this twenty-year-old uh, who kind of like runs the orphanage, but like is more after like the treasure that lies underneath the orphanage. Mm-hmm. And he ends up getting stabbed in like the armpit and. Guillermo del Toro has, like, this thing for armpit stabs. Yeah, because what's-his-name got stabbed in armpit. In, yeah, because uh, he was he's always been, like, what's the most painful place that you can get stabbed but still, like, continue going on? You think it's the armpit? Uh, apparently it's the armpit. I've never been stabbed in the armpit. Let's try it. Yeah, Frank, open <laughs> <laughs> Pull open your armpit. Uh, but the main villain in that, like, ends up getting, like, this bloodshot eye. So, again, kind of shows, like, you know, he, he has, like, this darker side to him that he's kind of like letting loose now mm-hmm. and then finally in shape of water the main character i forgot his name it's michael shannon yeah michael shannon when he gets his fingers bit off and that's fun yeah when he gets his fingers bit off and then he gets them surgically attached and then throughout the movie it's you just start so them, gross yeah you start <laughs> to see them decay more oh, it's so gross to the point where it's like he just rips them off. It's badass. And decides, like, I'm going to be the monster that I am. I'm not going to hide myself anymore and yeah. try to become, like, normal again. Yeah. So he has, like, these small little, like, nuances of, like, how throughout the films to tell, like, the villain is becoming more and more of a villain and less of a human. Mm-hmm. And I always liked that about Guillermo del Toro. I like the ending of The Shape of Water where the fish man slits michael shannon's throat yeah and michael shannon's just he says something like you are a ah god. you got me <laughs> <laughs> no he, he looks at him and he's like you are a god yes and he gets his throat slit and then he mm-hmm. dies i was like that oh, was a pretty cool uh little i like shape of water. i didn't like it that much i just didn't like the black and white dance scene i didn't like the weird guy that she was living with was gay and then going down to the the, the pie shop and hit like hitting, hitting on, the, on the, the the waiter or whatever and mm-hmm. that was like an unnecessary subplot that i didn't care for and then the whole aspect of the uh, listen i don't <laughs> i'm not gonna get into it but <laughs> I, this, this is why you like him so talk about how much you like him i like him <laughs> <laughs> that is that is all no like uh yeah that's why like he just he has like this very like he's at his core, he is the best with practical effects and blending war and fairy tales together. What if John Carpenter and Gamma del Toro got together oh, and made like a, a love practical effect only? Oh, that would be <laughs> oh God. So the good. boner that Zach has right now is giant. The movie boner I have now. Uh, that would be fantastic. That would be cool. I, I would absolutely love that, but. I'm not going to get my hopes up anymore with, like, him adding Anything. on projects and then, like, just getting delayed. Yeah. But I will leave you Ooh. with a quote from him Ooh. that I found uh, interesting. And he said in an interview, when you have the intuition that there is something which is there, but out of the reach of your physical world, art and religion are the only means to get it. Shaking your head in approval. <laughs> <laughs> I like that about you, Frank. <laughs> uh. So, with this, with this, I the wed, <laughs> I, <laughs> I the wed Guillermo del Toro <laughs> to my pick number two. <laughs> you may kiss the director. <laughs> uh, you done? Yeah, that's me. My turn. Yep. Right, cool. Uh, my pick is. Paul Thomas Anderson. Ah! The man, the myth, the legend. 
created my favorite film of all time. There will be blood. There will be. And um, yeah, so again, broke it down into four, five, six, whatever. I, I did a lot for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but to start off, uh, one of the biggest things that I love actually is that Paul Thomas Anderson and a few others, and I'll get into it a little bit more, uh, is that they he actually shoots on real film. He doesn't shoot digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, so he shot The Master, which we actually just recently watched, uh, all on like 70 millimeter. And I don't know if you're aware, but I, I became aware of it during when Quentin Tarantino was talking about The Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. And apparently, actual real film was basically dying. Uh, Kodak is like kind of like the the ones who are basically like the only ones who make it for film. Not even really a company anymore. But Kodak decided like they were they were basically going to do a thing where they were just going to make enough film for like the next few years, mm-hmm. and then like and then they were basically done. So they were basically just going to produce enough film back in whatever 2017, let's say, yeah. and then they were going to have enough of it to go up to like 2022 or whatever, and mm-hmm. then and then that's it. Film is done forever. And Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson, and although I don't, I haven't really been loving his most recent films, but I will admit that I like him as a director. Mm-hmm. Is Christopher Nolan? They they all actual they actually like all film their movies on real film, which is great. Yeah. So and because of them shooting on real film, and because of them actually like investing all of their time and money into doing it, they actually saved film like Kodak is now still making real film and they're actually in a pretty good spot nice which is really incredible so yeah uh so he shot the master on 70 millimeter which I don't know if you're like kind of aware of what 70 millimeter really means um but it's basically like giant like it's huge it's kind of like what uh you know I mean you know Tarantino shot Hateful Eight on 70 millimeter okay and I saw it in 70 millimeter and we'll talk about that another day um but it was truly amazing and i don't know there's just something about film like real real film that is a different experience than digital because when you go to a theater nowadays what they're basically doing is just popping in a dvd or a, a blu-ray into mm-hmm. a into a machine and then it just projects it that's literally what it is oh really yeah, that's that's, it? that's most mostly what that's what's going on actual actual people the only um real theaters that are like more kind of well-known or at least the one theater that is really well-known is regal regal cinema they actually Mm. have actual projection like they actually have real projectors and actual projectionists okay that know how to work the projection or the projector to actually you know do it so you know when i I saw the hateful eight in 70 millimeter at regal and it was like truly amazing mm-hmm. uh, but there's just something about the film it's it's bigger it's it, the, the colors look better everything like the the blacks are like true black that you know all, all of the the sound is even better everything is just better about it um so i just love that paul thomas anderson and the other few are really still like big advocates for actually shooting on film and actually saved real film which is great because you you can you can tell the difference like when you're watching it yeah yeah basically that's that for that and then my number two thing is boogie nights well <laughs> yes that's just that's just a movie um, <laughs> but my number two reason as to why he's my favorite is he makes extremely extremely and i would say he has put into american cinema some of the most complicated protagonists ever i think 
Daniel Day Lewis and There Will Be Blood mm-hmm. is so. You we've talked about this like when we on our first ever podcast. Like he is not a good man by any means. No, but you can't help but to like love him. While you can't watching help. Him. You can't help to love him, and then also you you know he again he's just so complicated because. He, he's an oil man and he really, really wants to uh, just all he cares about is money. But then he's got his son who's not even really his son, but he, he did care for him sort of at least for a certain amount of time. But he, then he also can use it against him because then he tells him like, you, I just used you as a face to sell oil. So, you don't you never really know what Daniel is like truly like where he really is. Um, but then he's got like the, one of my favorite dialogues in that film is when he's talking to his brother who isn't really his brother. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, he's basically telling him like, I have a competition in me and I don't want to see anybody else succeed. I don't like anybody. I basically just want to make enough money to get a house up in the middle of nowhere and just be by myself. So there's that aspect of him. Then when he finds out that his brother isn't really his brother, you can see how hurt he is because it was like the first time ever in his entire life that he felt like he actually could like confine into somebody and like somebody that he actually cared about and somebody that he thought cared about him and it wasn't actually using him for just for his money. And again, there's so much more, but just that alone, I mean, like, you know, you can just see how complicated and how in depth these characters really are. Yeah. Um, the master with Joaquin Phoenix's oh. character is very complicated. Absolutely. Uh, Just between like the PTSD that they never fully, fully go into yeah. and then become like him being a super alcoholic. Yeah. And I mean, then, he's got, his name is Freddie Quell. Yeah. He's got um, such anger issues at the same time too. And then he finds the religion slash cult that still isn't Scientology to me. Scientology. But I, I, I kind of can see it but not really <laughs> Scientology. i know you say that but like i'm just not connecting do your the research do they talk about the fucking the, the aliens and the, <laughs> the neutrons and going into us uh, i don't fully know Scientology <laughs> still <laughs> and then have you seen boogie nights i've seen pieces uh, that boogie. means you haven't i don't want to hear it because that's what you said about uh, we're not even going to go there i know philip seymour hoffman is in it he is um and then you know boogie nights is all about it's actually uh what's his name uh mark Wahlberg, mm. and mark Wahlberg is like a young kid and he basically ends up becoming a porn star yeah and then it's like him going through the circles of being a part being a porn star and growing up and and you know living that lifestyle and uh it's really a very super complicated situation that's going on there mm-hmm. you know you get you have the character who's who he, he loves the money that he that he's able and he's having you know sex with all these beautiful women but then he's getting like into like the drug aspect of of like what comes with that lifestyle and mm-hmm. the alcoholism and the depression and all of that uh, phantom thread which i'm not sure if you actually saw no i didn't get but, a chance to see uh, that phantom thread and his possibly Daniel Day-Lewis's last performance because he said he was retiring after that film. Oh, really? Yeah. That's another very complicated situation with a guy who is a dressmaker and uh, he's got like these, I guess I would say like he's got like abandonment mother issues going on mm-hmm. and it's insane. I mean, the movie is, it, it's it's very, very well done and I feel like you might find it a little boring, mm-hmm. but I think if you watch the entirety of it and then you think and you let it sit with you for a little while, I think you then kind of appreciate it a little bit more 
in which it's basically a movie in which he's kind of he's a dressmaker and he's a very very popular very very famous and it's like if you if you can get him to make you a dress it's like oh my god i can't believe that you got him to make you a dress but he's very very he's a man of routine and he's very very particular with his days and how he structures them Mm -hmm. and he meets a woman and the woman then she kind of starts breaking his routine and he starts kind of getting like frustrated Mm -hmm. and he's kind of notorious for dating these women and then pushing them away okay and then you know kind of ignoring them and not really wanting to be with them anymore and then he just kind of moves on to the next girl that's kind of like what his whole life has been and then it turns into this whole thing of I, I almost don't want to ruin it for you, but I, I, I I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> so it ends up being that she ends up starts she ends up starts um she starts poisoning him. Oh, cool! Because uh, she's not poisoning him to the point of like he's going to die, but he just gets very very sick. Mm-hmm. So she finds out that like there's like these mushrooms out in like the wild that that she can pick, and then if you if you don't cook them properly, they'll make you very very sick, and you could possibly die mm-hmm. in if you know if you eat too much. So she starts making him this like soup and she starts poisoning him with these mushrooms. And then she realizes that when he's sick, he's extremely loving and he wants to be with her all the time. And she, and he wants her to like hold him. And, and so then Hmm. she's like, Oh, this is, this this is a way to get to your heart. Mm -hmm. So then she starts, she continues to poison him. And then that's kind of like where their relationship blossoms. And then you, and then you find out that, that he actually has been aware the entire time <laughs> that she's been poisoning him. Oh. And he falls in love with her even more because he's never had a woman who's cared that much about him to, to poison to poison him, <laughs> but like you know, to want his affection so badly. I feel like it's crazy. I feel like their relationship's slightly toxic. It's a little toxic, but it's it's, it's absolutely insane. Um, Punch Drunk Love is Adam Sandler, and that's like uh, you you don't like Adam Sandler. I don't, but, it's but good, I I still want to see Uncut Gem. And I think you should watch Punch Drunk Love. Mm. I think it's a, it's another Sandler film where it's breaking the typecast of him not being like fucking Happy hey, Gilmore or anything. You know, it's like it's actually like a very it's more of like a dark comedy. Okay, um, it's done very well. There's another actually Adam Sandler film called it's either called Rain Over Me or Rain On Me. Mm-hmm. It's about him who's got a uh, uh, his. his his family died during 9-11, like in the 9-11 attacks, and he's got like PTSD from it. And an old like college friend or something comes through and they end up like, it's like kind of just following like their relationship. Mm-hmm. But then him realizing like how unstable Adam Sandler really is. It's actually done very well. Okay. Uh, that's another Adam Sandler film that I think you would actually enjoy. Um, but yeah, so I think that he, Paul Thomas Anderson, always kind of really creates these super, super complicated characters in which you don't feel like you fully understand within the first viewing. It's always movies that you have to end up going back to a few times and, you know, trying to understand where they come from. The next thing I would say is, oh, by the way, that's that's uh, that's Paul Thomas Anderson's king of king of complica- complicated characters. Uh, next thing I would say is that he is. Oh, you're saying that he is the king he, of making complicated characters? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the next thing is kind of like cinematography and just pure direction. Um, if you, at this point, and I think in Paul Thomas Anderson's career, he's basically like a masterful filmmaker. Like anytime that he gets behind the camera, you can, you know that you're in the hands of a very, very master, a, ma- a master. Yeah. A master filmmaker, uh, beautiful long takes. Uh, beautiful blocking, beautiful set designs, all of that. I mean, if you just even if you don't love the film Phantom Thread, just watching the, the the production, the set designs, the beautiful and I mean beautiful camera work, mm-hmm. 
it's and the cinematography, the colors, and all of that. It's just always top notch. You looking a little antsy there, Zach? No, I'm me, fine. You want me to? You want me to shut up? No, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know that. Uh, and then at the end of the day, I really just love his stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories that that he that he that he tells in his films always always interest me. And that kind of goes back to the complicated characters. They always get themselves in situations in which. I'm always just completely enthralled with where I'm like, oh my God, how is this going to end? Where, where are we going to go from here? Boogie Nights is a great story. There will be blood, obviously. Uh, One of the best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the best in my opinion, but so on and so forth. And then um, my last thing is just, I think that he gets some of the best performances out of his actors. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, to this day, stand by Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview mm-hmm. is Daniel Day-Lewis's best performance. I absolutely agree. I stand by that. I think... Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman's performance in The Master? Maybe, possibly his best. I, I think that... I would. I think that Joaquin Phoenix in The Master, that might be his best performance. Um, the Joker was very good, and that's very much, like, very him because he's, you know, so mentally yeah. unstable. But I, it almost... But obviously, in the master, Freddie Quill is not is is pretty similar. Yeah. Where he's very he's got PTSD. He's all over the place. You know, he's he's an alcoholic and all that. Mark Wahlberg, that performance is okay. Mm-hmm. That's like okay, but you know, Mark Wahlberg is kind of always he's, he's kind of like, always okay. Yeah. I never I don't I don't love Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> we want Marky Mark back. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's basically it. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to go on for too too long. But um, I just Paul Thomas Anderson. I think is one of the best filmmakers out there working today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm so happy that I am able to go to the theaters and see his newest films. You know, obviously we know that like Kubrick, right? Like, yeah, we can't, no, we'll never see another Kubrick movie. Really? No, you're never going to, you're never going to see one. You're not gonna be able to experience it in theaters unless I know Christopher Nolan was doing that 70 millimeter 2001 space odyssey thing. I don't mm-hmm. know what happened with that or if that, yeah, like, you were telling me about that a just, while back. I just kind of like, like never, I don't know unless I missed it, but <laughs> I was like, I was like doing extensive research on it and it just kind of never happened. I think it was the one day that you didn't do research on it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, just yeah. today. It's right now, right now. <laughs> go, go. All right. Well, all right guys, that's it. Um, but yeah, so I'm really, really happy that Paul Thomas Anderson is out there making movies and um, and great films at that. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. Zach? Frank? Zach? Frank? Zach? F- Frank, is that you? Zach? Frank, where are you? I can't <laughs> see you. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. All right. Now we go to our number one. Yep. Next week will be number one. Get ready, folks. I'm excited about We're that gonna one. We're going to be cursing That one's going to be, I think, a long one because... Uh, yeah. You know, we, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) no spoilers for that one. Yeah. Um, but that's it guys. Cool. So just to let you guys know too, uh, my next pick for the film, which I feel like you've seen and you've enjoyed will be Tom Hardy's performance in Bronson. I did not like that movie. Really? I didn't love that movie, but I also think that I just, I wasn't in a right headspace when I was watching it because I didn't exactly fully understand like what I was getting myself into. Because that's, that's a weird fucking. It is film. a weird movie. Um, but I just remember like the structure of it being really odd. Hmm. But um, we'll talk about the structure. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Zach, you have a recommendation? Oh my god, do I ever, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> now listen, listen here. Frank. Okay. So, I do have a recommendation. So this is my third time now watching this show. 
in its entirety? I, it's in, in its entirety. Wow. I had watched it when I was in high school with my brother. Uh, about two years ago, we rewatched it to get ready for the third and final season of it that was coming out. And now we are watching it again where I can show my girlfriend, Jess, and my brother can show his girlfriend. And I am, of course, talking about the weird, quirky, lovable David Lynch. Oh. Yeah, his, his TV show, Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. I love Twin Peaks. Is that, that's my piece, Zach. Is that your favorite TV show? It is. I, man, it, well, it's, it's definitely in the top three top three favorite tv shows of all time i try i was into it for a little while and then i just where is it on netflix right now yeah okay, yeah so you can uh, season one and two is on netflix and then season three got picked up by like hbo uh two years ago oh but i heard that the third season i thought you i heard I that you weren't happy with not it. like the third season because you said that what's his name was just running around like mindlessly and just kind of like yeah shouting yeah so <laughs> it it's very Odd. Um, before I get into that, so like the premise of the show is that it is a small town in like close to can no Nebraska. The- yeah, uh, it's it's I remember. it's up in the states. It's close to like Canada's borders. They talk like this, eh? Yeah. No. Maybe. I don't remember. It's I don't where, remember the show. It's where Fargo right. is. Yeah. All right. Let's I go with Michigan. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is bad talking about it. But um. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, it it takes place in, like, the small woodsy town, and there is a woman who's murdered, and she's pretty much, like, the most popular person, like, within this small town, and an FBI agent, Special Agent Dale Cooper, comes in to investigate the murder, and through the episodes, it just blossoms into, like, this quirky, like, back and forth between him and his partner, and... A whole thing about coffee and pie. Damn good cup of coffee. And every single person is fucking someone else, even though they're in a committed relationship. But then they're in a committed relationship with another person, but they're fucking someone else. And then there's this whole, like, supernatural aspect to it that, like, is just too much to get into. Mm -hmm. But I, like... If you love quirky TV shows, it's perfect for you. It is such a fun show that, like, the smallest things will make you laugh. But at the same time, too, it's a drama. And you'll sit there and you'll you'll be, like, on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen next. Yeah. And as soon as that, like, directed by Mark Frost and David Lynch screen comes up and you're like, fuck, that's the end of the episode. I got to watch the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll, you'll binge watch it. I, I definitely, I, I was definitely into it. I just, I don't know why I stopped. I don't know what happened. I just mm-hmm. ended up, I, I remember, I think I got to the point where like the, uh, the little guy was like talking backwards. Oh, so you ended on like episode three. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I was, I, <laughs> you didn't I even know. get to like the, the good craziest stuff. No, stuff I didn't yet. get into the crazy stuff, but, uh, Maybe I maybe I'll pick it back up. I think you should. Uh, season three, I did not like except for the last like two episodes. Because mm. if you don't know, David Lynch is a very out there director. Uh, yeah, he has a very particular way about him. I was considering putting him in my top five for the director's cut, but, but I just I it. I couldn't solely just because only just because I really enjoyed Eraserhead. Fire Walk with Me and the TV show Twin Peaks, that's but like that's not, not enough, enough yeah. of his like filmography to be like, yeah, he's got to make it. Eraser is good. It is good. It is, but like I haven't seen Blue Velvet yet. Um, I haven't seen like 
rest of his films, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> but Twin Peaks holds up as a really cool TV show. Just not so much the last season. Third season. Because he went way out there with craziness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. But yeah. Thanks, Zach. You're welcome, Frank. Go watch Twin Peaks. I will. All right, guys. That's it. Everybody, thank you for listening. Now, Frank, roll the credits. <laughs>